0: (音楽) music our second part in the deep dive into the topic and discussion about what speaking in tongues meant to the Jews in the first century. Um, If you listen listened to our first episode we ran through all the common arguments that are presented by those who um, practice this gift or sign um, in our day and age um, and working out how consistent they are with scripture and where there is a lot of things we might be agree or disagree on or have nuances on. But in this episode um, we will be digging into exactly what that meant, um, if you get a greater understanding of the things we've already gone through I would definitely suggest that you listen to um, the first episode if you haven't or at least get a refresher um, and I hope you've also not only taken notes but also checked to see what everything that has been said up until this point is true. Um, obviously don't take my word for it, I've certainly done my my study but um, you might have different nuances but i made sure that obviously you get as much information as possible in on this topic as I go through and it's not um, something that's subjective, it's very objective in its operation. Um, so yeah, I've laid out literally everything and you can um, be like the brains and pick it apart and see whether it's consistent with scripture and work it through that way. Um, But yes, obviously in this episode we are going to be um, continuing um, with what this actually would have meant for the the Jews in the first century. Um, Obviously in the last episode I left you a a bit of a caveat with looking at the um, similarities between um, the events of the Tower of Babel and what happens on the day of Pentecost. with regards to um, what's happening at the time but more specifically what the people in those times are actually doing and the reasons why they are doing it. Um, Obviously um, at the Tower of Babel we have everyone who is on one accord but their main agenda or the mode of operation is to glorify themselves, you know it's in our nature to to do that sort of thing. Uh, aside from that there's been some other studies I'm digging into and I'm beginning to find how deep that goes uh, with regards to what's mentioned um, between um, Adam, Eve and Satan in the garden um, and how much there is a ramification in the things that he um, Satan had presented to Eve um, in that conversation there and things that like we pulled above that was obviously a conversation for a different time but um, yeah we see how the Tower of Babel is all about themselves it's elevating themselves and getting them up to this uh, into the heavens or um, more likely to the, the level of um deity themselves and the judgment that was brought upon them um at that time was having different languages, so they couldn't understand each other and obviously that hampered the um the development of the tower of Abel and um the things that are going on in that area, so everyone's spread out from there, Um, biblically that's where we'd argue where we get all our um, our languages from, but as we go into the book of Acts, um, we have again everyone on one accord, but their sole focus at this point in time um, is obviously waiting, but they're on one accord and um, where the Holy Spirit does um, enter into the scene, as it were. He gives them the gift of other languages and this is obviously back to what like we mentioned in the first episode that um, those who were outside could hear the wonderful um, exaltations um, or extols being made about God in the raw language. Um, and all of this has happened for a reason. Um, obviously I'd mentioned um, there's Old Testament Uh, scriptures in the last episode that allow you to see how things are unfolding um, from God's decree in Ezekiel on the day of Pentecost and you see how everything's unfolding there but um, to get a better understanding of what this meant not only here but in other stages um, or other situations um, in the book of Acts um, to find out what this meant to the Jews in that time, we'd have to turn to First Corinthians, fourteen, verse twenty to twenty-five, specific, um, specifically um, twenty-one and twenty-two. But we'll read those through just to so get an, an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, we'll be starting in verse twenty. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking; be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written. By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me," says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not to the believers, but the unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not to the unbelievers, but to the believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and speaks in tongues, and an outsider or an unbeliever uh, or outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and unbelievers and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed, and so falling on his face will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When I originally came across no which really, um the general understanding of the scripture up until recently was that um when it came to the speaking in tongues, it was used as a means of um, reaching other people um, who you didn't know the language of um, and I guess to some degree there is scope for that considering um, how the gospel spread out amongst uh, many different nations and those who speak other languages and things like that and you obviously see that in the book of Acts etc and going on but um, that is not the sole purpose of what Paul is saying in verse 21 and 22 so if I read it again it says in the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people and even then they will not listen to you says the Lord thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for for believers yeah there's something obviously that if you're reading it and going through something gets overlooked but Paul starts 21 saying in the law it is written so he's making reference to something that would be in a law or in the Torah the Tanakh or you know the the Hebrew Bible or essentially our Old Testament um, and if you have a study Bible it actually will help point you in the direction of where he's talking but um, if you haven't got that um, essentially Paul is making a reference in verse 21 um, to Isaiah 28, and I will read that in its entirety, um, it's a fairly long portion of scripture, but um, I'm only going to read it all for context, so then you get an idea of what's going on. And it reads, starting from number one, are ah, the proud crown of drunk- of the drunkards of Ephraim, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters. He cast down to the earth his hand, the proud crown the drunken of Ephraim, and will be trodden underfoot. And the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, will be like a 1st ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand. In that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. And the spirit of justice who to him who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back to battle at the gate, these also reel in wine and stagger with strong drink. the priests and the prof- uh, the priest and the prophet reel with strong drink, they are swallowed by wine and they stagger with strong drink, they reel in vision, and they stumble in giving judgment, for all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. To whom will he teach knowledge, and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by strange lips, with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people. To whom he has said, This is the rest. Give rest to the weary, and this uh, repose, yet they will not hear. The word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Hear a little, there a little. They may go, and fall backwards, and be broken, and snared, and taken. Therefore, hear the word of your Lord, you scoffers. Who will these people in who will rule these people in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, with Sheol, we have made an agreement. When the overwhelming wit passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid, foundation, has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, in of sure of a sure foundation whoever believes will not be in haste i will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line i will ha- and hail will sweep away the, refugee, uh, the refuge of lies and water will overcome the shelter then your covenant with death shall be uh, will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand, and your, when the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you, for morning by morning it will pass through, by day and by night, and it will be a sheer terror to understand the message, for the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in for the lord will rise up as on mount Perizim, as in the valley of gibeon he will be roused to do his deed strange is his deed at his and to work his work alien is his work now therefore do not scoff lest your bonds be made strong for i have heard a decree of destruction from the lord of hosts against the whole land give and hear my voice give attention and hear my speech does he plow for sowing? plow continually does he continually open and harrow his ground when he was leveled it when he has leveled its surface it does he not scatter dill so cumin, so cumin and put wheat in rows and barley in its proper place and emma as the border for he is for he is rightly instructed as god teaches him dill is not threshed with a th- with a threshing f- sledge dill is not threshed with a threshing sled nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin but a dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cart wheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. Also, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Well, as you can see in this passage of Isaiah, um, uh, Isaiah is telling the Jews that a foreign nation that doesn't speak the same language as them I think, um, I can't quite remember who the nation is at this point, um, but will come in judgment to punish Israel. Is there a reason why Paul had mentioned this? This sign is actually seen throughout the the book of Acts as a sign of judgment to those who remain in unbelief. The Jews were obviously God's chosen people. Uh, They were given everything via prophecy and scripture about the Messiah's coming. upon arrival they rejected him and ultimately warranted his death as the old covenant rolled to a close and a new one gained momentum is there support for this claim in scripture well as I mentioned in the the last episode God gathers the Jews like he mentions in Ezekiel 36 um, for the day of Pentecost for all of this to unfold and do we see warnings about this potential thing happening um I would argue we certainly do. Um, If we turn to Matthew 3, um, verses 1 through to 12, I'm going to read through here. Um, It's essentially centred around John the Baptist. um, And he says (laughs) some very interesting things, um, especially if you look in the Old Testament, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a bit, possibly, um, specifically with Daniel's um, visions. But it says here in Matthew 3, then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to the baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say for yourselves, say to yourselves, We.'" have Abraham as our father for I tell you God is able to make these stones to raise up children for Abraham even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire I baptize you with water for repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Obviously, this is very deep, um, and there's some caveats here because there are some misinterpretations. But like the fact that you know, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is something that's very reminiscent of um, Daniel's vision of the statue with the different sections built up in different materials and then you have this one rock that's cut from the mountain um, that comes and destroys the entire statue and nothing comes to destroy that rock that's cut from the mountain and obviously it's explained in Daniel that the rock that's cut from the mountain is the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God and it comes and destroys all the um the different nations who made up the different composites of that um of that statue um the last one being um which you could argue um because it's made of two elements I believe it's iron and clay you could argue that it's both Jerusalem and Rome at this stage um, but the fact that. When the Pharisees and Sadducees come, it's like you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? That, in context, that's something that would have been very specific to them. And understanding that, you know, John the Baptist also has the Holy Spirit. So there's something obviously going on in this time period that um, they certainly don't know about. But God is obviously working out as it goes on through, Um, and. To back that up, you see how um, Jesus says the exact same things to the exact same people. Um, as you roll on through to Matthew twenty-three, um, yeah. I'll, well, I read from verse. For some reason, it comes about thirty on here, but we have got with that. Um, yeah, from, so from Matthew twenty-three, I've got it here. From here, uh, yeah, from verse thirteen, I believe. woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow others to enter in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across land and sea to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe unto you. A to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that was made of gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift of, on, that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that has made the gift sacred? Whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heavens by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. While unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, you tithe mint, and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and fruitfulness or faithfulness, sorry. These you ought to have done, without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind pharisees, you must first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside might also, um, also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which, are outwardly, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe unto you, scribes and pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs, for you build tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous saying if we had lived in the days of our father we would have we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets, thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then fill up then the measure of your fathers and the most important bit we got here. You serpents, you brood of vipers! How are you escaping? Sen- how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, and from the blood of. Righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, whom you have murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, old Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under a wing, and you are not willing. See, Your sea, your house, is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And if that's not enough, we'll go straight through to Matthew 24, where it kind of shows that there is this... um, And it's something we kind of touched on in the past with regards to how this passage of Scripture is kind of interpreted. Um, I won't go too deep into it at the moment but I'll at least give you an idea of what I mean as we walk on through. Um, just understanding the premise of what this judgement meant to them as we're um, leading up towards the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. But um, we're going to break it up into certain bits. So to start with we're going to work with um, Matthew 24 verses 1 to 3. Uh, which reads, Jesus left the temple and was going away, when his disciples came to a point, uh, came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, "You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone left upon another that will be thrown down. That will not be thrown down." As he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us what these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age." The three bits here, no, sorry, the two bits here that I'd like to highlight obviously is that they've just left the temple. Uh, they've asked, they've marvelled about how this temple's built. Uh, apparently, you know, it looked like a, a sun. When the sun hit it right, it looked like another sun in the sky. It was truly marvellous to look at. But then his response is, yeah, you might be looking at how beautiful it is, but at some stage, not one of these stones are going to be um, left standing upon each other. It's literally going to be completely destroyed. And obviously they're sitting on a Mount of Olives now, and you can see the, the temple from where you are. And it's also very interesting that um, in, I believe it's still in Ezekiel, it might be earlier. Uh, I might be confusing them, I might be wrong but I think it's Ezekiel where um, it mentions how Yahweh's um, presence left the temple um, before and rested on the mountain towards the east which um, is actually the Mount of Olives before it was destroyed then Um, so it's very interesting to see how the Jews specifically his disciples have come up with this i um, come up with this response having in mind what Jesus had just said and what that meant to them the fact that he says you know it's going to be completely destroyed would that mean something to them? most definitely <laughs> because the destruction of the temple is generally something that um, in Jewish history they're well acquainted with and it usually comes with them being disobedient to God and they're doing something that is of his, uh, outside of his will so for them to ask okay, um, privately do you mind just telling us the sign of your coming and the end of the age Um, like if you have the KGV version it says obviously the end of the world but the Greek word behind world there is ion which is used more to do with um, age and how we'd use that obviously in English would be like the digital age and things like that Um, obviously the sign of your coming is something that um, isn't necessarily es- eschatological um, in terms of like end times, but more so to do with judgment. Um, and you do see how you know the coming of the day of the Lord is used quite a lot in the Old Testament, and it's usually referring to God is now going to judge us for what we have done. He's given us enough time to be able to turn around. That's not happened, so he's judging us for it. That's very much what you could argue was happening here at the start of Matthew 24 and this is obviously further laid out where if you were to go to um, Matthew 24 verse 14 where it says um, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed um, throughout the whole world um, as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come The again, even though the KGB uses the same word again world the Greek word behind that is uh, many, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Um, but it means um, what that word is generally used for is with regards to the Roman Empire at that time. So the Gospel of the Kingdom will be proclaimed um, throughout the whole Roman Empire as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Um, and then while laying that out, you um, might see a bit for a double entendre with um, Matthew 24, verse 31, where um, it says, And he will send out his angels um, with a loud trumpet call to gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to another. Um, there's some that view this as literally, um, but um, I think it's more illustrative. In its um, wording um, because uh, the word used for messengers well the word used for angels um, also can be translated is messengers in the Greek and the fact that um, well what message would they be taken out to gather the elect from the forwards? obviously we we hear the word elect a lot from someone like people like um, from Paul in these letters and we see how the apostles are sent out to preach the gospel but those who receive the gospel um are god's elect um, there's some that I like to try and you know break that apart and say or you know refute that you know election is not a thing or predestination not a thing but if they're in the bible we have to incorporate them in our theology with due care and study um not just to take things of face value, but to really get our heads around what is going on there and then uh, work out how we can apply to our theology as we continue to grow in grace. Um, But yeah, like understanding how the fact that you've got this gospel message and obviously we're given the Great Commission (laughs) just like the um, the apostles were, so they have this message to stand up to the whole Roman Roman Empire, uh, which at this point was Pretty broad. Obviously, we know that the Romans are um, are in the area, occupying Jerusalem, um, which is something we also need to consider. With what I mentioned a lot earlier, with regards to the those who speak the strange, um, those who speak the strange languages and strange tongues and different languages, such the fact that. Um, obviously when it came to judging the the Jews in the Old Testament it would always be um, a pagan nation that would come and destroy them and then they would be judged for the fact that they have been judged because obviously God's removed um, His restraining hand on their evil for them to go and do that but then because it's something that they've done in their own um, in their own will that they're still guilty for that um, God's sovereignty is a great subject to go into, that's probably another thing to look at in the future but we see the same thing here with uh, the Romans, obviously the Romans have come and occupied um, a lot of places, specifically Jerusalem um, and you see how there's obviously animosity between the two um, but there, are, you do see how there are points where um, during this, I believe the correct term is Hellenization of Jerusalem um, obviously the picking up the language uh, picking up the cultures and things like that um, how there are instances um, later on that I should hopefully have um, laid out in some other scriptures ahead of time that all of this is being used um, as a, a means of judgment but also other things going on at the same time before um, if, if try not to get too uh, lost in the rabbit holes there um, and if you know thinking that might be coming to a bit of a stretch in regards to my interpretation of what is actually going on in the Matthew 24 you can turn to um, Luke 19 uh, which is essentially um, we'll start obviously with one of the the main things that is quite blatant is in Luke 19 with regards to um, um, this makes it quite plain and simple um, going from verse 41 to 44 I guess you have to read the whole context you can um, go back and check yourselves um, but in this instance I think like this event is quite small in its um, in its writing I don't think there's much before it I might be wrong I can't remember um, but I don't think there's a lot that carries up to what's going on here it just needs to be its own little separate event wrote uh, in or written in sorry um, but it reads um, and when you drew near um, and saw the city he wept over it saying would that you even you had known on this day that the things that um, had known on this day the things that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you from uh, hem you in every side And tear tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation." This ties up very nicely with what Jesus was saying in Matthew 24, you know, the context of something happening specifically to these guys in Jerusalem in their generation. Um, I think it's very hard to perhaps argue something outside of that hermeneutically. Um, but as I mentioned, yeah, going back to um, uh, um, I, you, I believe it's Luke 21 if you want to see the... was it Mark? I can't remember. <laughs> I apologise. Uh didn't make reference to it here somewhere. No, I did not. Um, but you can, you can read the synoptic versions of those. I believe it's, if it's not Mark, it's Luke, and they kind of bring more um, of more of a, like a layman's term interpretation of what is going on there. Um, you know where it says um, things like when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies. It's very interesting because that still lines up very much with what Luke is saying when Jesus was um, on this mountain, declaring judgment on Jerusalem. Um, But in um, Luke 23, oh, sorry, yeah, Luke 21. Yes, Luke 21, I've got this in the wrong order. Uh, So essentially, when you see Jerusalem, um, and this is going from 21 to 24, uh, 20 to 24, sorry, Um, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that its desolation has come near. And then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, that's obviously very close. And then, uh, and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who uh, let not those who are out in the country enter it for these are the days of vengeance to 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 fulfill all that is written alas for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days for they will greatly distress upon the earth and the wrath against this people They will fall by the edge of the sword or be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Gentiles in this instance will be the Romans until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then if you scroll later on into um, Luke 23, uh, specifically 26 to 31, um, this is when Jesus is carrying his cross. It's already been beaten, Uh, he's been judged by Pilate, etc. etc. They've let of let Barnabas go which is something that I, I do want to I hope I have um, gotten noted here but there's something very interesting about the rejection um, on how that rejection is um, phrased by the Jewish people in that instance um, but right here um, it says um, starting from 26 as they led him away they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. There were a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming where they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breast that never nursed then they will begin to say to the mountains fall on us and the hills cover us for if they do these things when the wood is green what will happen when the wood is dry it's very very chilling (laughs) when reading this through um obviously Jesus is not concerned about how they feel about him you know taking our punishment because he's already dealt with that in the um, the Garden of Gethsemane and at this point it's literally just I'm doing this thing but don't wait for me because there's something coming for you unfortunately Um, it's very very dark and chilling you can almost imagine the the women would have stopped crying at this point (laughs) point. probably would be trying to discuss what it meant but yeah um, it's uh, when when you begin to understand how guess it's more so in the Old Testament how um, God describes judgment and destruction Um, you begin to see these bits um, highlight quite a bit in the New Testament Um, you must hear this a lot um, in church circles I certainly do Um, in Acts 2 uh, verses 16 to 21 where um, it talks about in the last days it shall be god declares that i will pour my spirit on all flesh your sons will and daughters will prophesy your young men shall see visions your old men shall dream dreams and even my male servants and female servants in those days i will pour my spirit and they shall prophesy you hear that a lot um but it doesn't finish there <laughs> it really doesn't And it says, I will show you wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. And before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be (laughs) (laughs) saved. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verses 19 and 20, um, again, sound very es- uh, very end times um, related um, if you hold that position, um, but understanding what's going on in context, is like God is pouring out his spirit, we've seen that in the book of Acts most definitely, um, that sign being like speaking tongues and prophecies and all those sorts of things happening with different people groups as you go through. But judgment is also following that. And that judgment then is seen by the world. And obviously, we know that Jesus is going to come again in the future, and the entire world is going to be judged. So, in this instance, it's Jerusalem. Jerusalem, we're told that Jesus was going to come in the flesh, he was going to die for their sins. Um, you know, the Messiah, you know, the, the one who's come to fulfill Yom Kippur. To be the great high priest, um, the one who's going to make intercession um, for all people. Um, that you know, we no longer have a day of atonement because it's been paid for through the, through the life that Jesus had lived, the death he died for us, but also the fact that he showed his divinity by being raised from the dead. They ignored all that. Every single bit of it, and now judgment's coming, and that's now expanded to the entire world as it drew for close to them is opened up for us that we must accept it, trust in what the Lord has done on our behalf that um, our righteousness is not of our own it's of His Um, you know there's nothing we can boast about in what He's done for us other than the fact that we came as a sinner there's nothing more beautiful than that when you really begin to understand um God's grace and his love and how he has orchestrated everything just to save us, even to bring us to the point where we can bear the fruit um in keeping with repentance, as John the Baptist mentioned earlier. Um but if yeah, if you were to read um, um if you were to, yeah, to read uh, Joel three, uh, verses thirteen to twenty one, which is where Peter references in the book of Acts uh, Acts 2 sorry um, on the day of Pentecost um, it says put in sickle for the harvest is ripe go in tread for the winepress is full and the vats overflow for the evil is great multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision the sun and the moon will be darkened and the stars will withdraw their shining. The Lord from Zion uttered his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earthquake but the Lord is a refuge to his people and a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion my holy mountain and Jerusalem shall be holy and the strangers shall never pass through it never again pass through it and in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk and the steam beds of judah shall flow with water and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the lord and water the valley of shittim egypt will become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they shed innocent blood in their land but Judah shall be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all ages I will avenge the blood their blood blood I have not avenged for the Lord dwells in Zion obviously this judgment speak here (laughs) for a completely different context but it's obviously been drawn on by Peter and the Holy Spirit to show something to the Jews, here, and um, you see in their response that the Holy Spirit convicts them as just a sharp stab into the heart, as the, the Greek seems to describe, and they turn to Christ. But others that don't; they just think that they're completely drunk when this sign um, of speaking in tongues is is shown earlier in the um, in the account, but. Um, Can we see other instances of this um, cosmic destruction? uh, Cosmic destruction, hyperbole, as it's mentioned by people like um, I believe it's R. C. Sproul and Jeff Derby. More recently, Um, again, you go back to Matthew twenty-three. Sorry, Matthew twenty-four, specifically, um, verse twenty-nine to thirty, where it reads: Immediately after the tribulations of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the earth, uh, the powers of the heaven, shall be shaken. And there will appear in the heaven a sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Again, some take this literally, but it's it's very. Um, it's very possible to see this as um descriptive, um or poetic in its um in its writings or its sayings, because um, you don't see that you do see other places in um scripture um that talk about these things. So obviously we've mentioned the, the things about the sun being darkened and all that in Joel. Um even like the sign of the Son of Man um and him coming in the clouds, that's something that's also mentioned in Isaiah 19 uh, verse 1 where it says, Behold, the Lord is riding a swift cloud that comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. Did this happen literally? Well, we know that idols don't have any life in them, so they can't tremble. Um, and yes, the Egyptians have hearts, but they wouldn't melt within them. It's not literal. Um and the Lord didn't come on a swift cloud but he certainly did judge Egypt that's a given without any shadow of a doubt and to, to highlight why um, I certainly agree that it's uh, it's because of the rejection um, there's uh, at least three instances that I've got here that um, convoluted to this and you can find it in other places as well um as you read on through um the the gospels but um I've got at least three here. There's John nineteen verse twelve to sixteen. We've got through a lot of scripture here. <laughs> uh, but it says From then on Pilate sought to release him. Uh, but the Jews cried out and this is what we were talking about earlier in regards to the decision to have between um the same decision between um, Barabbas and Jesus in this instance is talking about uh, what they should do with their king the Jews um, you see from then on Pilate sought to release him Jesus but the Jews cried out if you release this man you are not Caesar's friend everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar so they're twisting things to try and get the wrong judgment in their depraved hearts So when Pilate heard these words he brought Jesus out and sat them down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement and in Aramaic the language that they had at the day um, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover and it was about the sixth hour and he said to the Jews Behold your king. They cried away with him away with him crucify him. Pilate said to them shall i crucify your king and the chief priest answered we have no king but caesar so he delivered him over to be crucified so they took jesus you can go further down the rabbit hole and um, while looking into portions of revelation to see how <laughs> this is quite synonymous with certain bits there i think we again we've touched on that in the past in regards to the um are they ready for the end sections like the eschatology eschatology edition Um, but yeah a flat out rejection you know we have no king but Caesar where you know the king of the entire universe is standing right in front of you but you've rejected him but then he has also said that these guys are not his sheep so don't hear his voice don't follow him and they don't turn away from the many voices that are on his not his sheep, I believe that's in John ten. Um yeah, they just they don't know. They don't know him. They're completely shielded in their sinful nature. And um again yeah, going to Matthew twenty seven. Um like we mentioned earlier, this decision between um Barabbas and um Jesus. Um, specifically we are focusing in on um, Matthew 27, 17-26 and it says um, so when they had gathered Pilate said to them do you want me to release for you Barabbas or Jesus who he called Christ the Messiah for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up besides he was sitting on the judgment seat his wife sent word um, besides while he was sitting on the judgment seat his wife sent word to him I have have nothing to do with this righteous man for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus the governor again said to him which of the two do you want me to release for you They said, Barabbas, Pilate said to him, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They said to him, let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. And here is the the kicker. verse 25 and all the people answered let his blood be on us and our children then he released for them Barabbas having scourged Jesus delivered him to be crucified and um, having scourged Jesus delivered him to be crucified now for those of you who are quite well acquainted with your Old Testament would know that let his blood be upon us and our children it's a serious twisted use of language <laughs> of something that you see in Leviticus uh, regards to God's law and justice um, it quite literally means death and they take it with no inhibition or reservation with the chance being the loudest from the Sanhedrin or the Jewish elite this is just as creepy as Jesus saying don't wait for me well that one's more cold but this one's creepy because it's just like let his blood be upon us um to be to us that has a completely different context we want to be covered in the blood of jesus like right? cuz he's our salvation but for these guys they're happy to take the judgment as long as he's not accepted as a king they've even accepted a um a pagan king at this point to be their king um and for those of you again who know the old testament the jews also wanted um they didn't want to be you know um to be led by Um, King Yahweh to put it that way Um, and they wanted a king just like the other nations that they could see and it's okay yeah um, I'll give you one but it's also going to come with judgment (laughs) and in this case the the exact same thing happens again again we talk about um, talk about the Romans the Romans obviously historically do turn on the Jews in 70 AD it's very Very, um, it's very, very easy, I would say, to make a strong case to say that this is what Jesus is talking about. There's a judgment coming, it's coming within your generation, within you know, where the things that I've told you are going to unfold. And obviously, as we mentioned before, when going to Acts 2, verses 5 to 13, where um, the Jews are gathered in Jerusalem, um. And they hear this sign of speaking in tongues. It's slightly more nuanced, but still, um, you see how there's um, a difference. There's a, a difference in how these people are responding to this sign. And it reads, reading from verse five: Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, and suddenly at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them were hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, "Are these not all who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that we each how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language?" Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, or Phrygia um, I don't know word. Pamphylia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and uh, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? it's a positive um, curiosity there that that, you know, there's something going on here, but then others mocked saying that, oh they're filled with new wine, interesting contrast that you know, you're hearing something about God and some take it to think, oh I want to learn more, and others just are, oh you know in perhaps a way that they are behaving uh, without inhibition not necessarily like sounding drunk with slurred language but the fact that they they are extolling God to great degrees and it's been received completely differently you can see how the Holy Spirit is working there but um, yeah as I said you like you see how the old covenant draws to a close and uh, the grace and judgment of God expands at this point from Jerusalem to the entire Roman Empire or the um, the many uh, as um, Jesus uh, said um, the sign is pretty significant as it happens to different people groups even though Jesus mentions um, in John's gospel that he has sheep that are not a part of his flock and it takes Philip's preaching and the laying hands of peter <laughs> for the holy spirit bridge as it were is probably a better way to explain that um, to be uh, built between the samaritans and the jews yeah like in john 16 uh john 10:16. sorry um jesus mentioned yeah i have shop and shops <laughs> i have sheep that are not a part of this flock um he would have been present there and god's given in his visions he still doesn't understand it but it takes that um this encounter with cornelius to realize oh okay this is what god meant both, you know, Jesus and God the Father have shown me this thing and now it makes sense, okay. Um, but also, you see how, um, the, the ministerial mission of Paul, um, equipping John the Baptist's um, disciples to preach the gospel in Greek places with diverse pathways to other countries, we see how that could potentially where they like I mentioned in the last episode that the, um, and also in this one, um, that you know, the, the speaking of tongues could easily. Be used as a bridge to make um, connections with those who don't speak the same language as you, but they can still have um, the facility to preach the gospel to them without the aids of things like translators or Google Translate and things like that that we have today. Um, But to tie the bow on the implications of this transition, um, transitional period of the laws of grace. temple of stone is now the temple of flesh the holy spirit um, used to come upon like I mentioned in the last episode um, everyone to now dwelling within and now from Jerusalem um, to the world and um, we see how this really works out if you read through uh, Paul's account in Romans 10 Uh, chapter 10 to chapter 12 um, to really understand what's going on here um, in the book of Acts, it's very very beautiful Um, it also sets the stage as the things we can do with the Jews and things like that Um, obviously um, everything's sample for them but they're not left out, there was a God still has a reason as to why everything unfolded the way it did with them Um, but yeah even if you um, problems with this um I would argue that maybe look at judas um it's interesting that he's mentioned that um <laughs> like yeah uh, that like with him, uh, the only way to escape God's wrath outside of Jesus would have to have never been born, but we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, God's gift of saving faith and drawing us to Jesus so that we can be declared free and clothed in a righteousness that we cannot achieve ourselves and to be made clean and spiritually generated true, uh, by a truly holy spirit so that we desire the things of God before the foundation of the earth by writing our names in the book of life that has no errors in it as God makes no mistakes with his elect is a truly beautiful thing but unfortunately all of this is sadly overlooked um, when this gift is distorted um, and in certain circles it can be used to just sell a spiritual experience but in doing so um, we can make the the massive error of declaring those who are spiritually dead who still have the wrath of God sitting on them as saved because they've jumped through the hoops that we have made misinterpreting the scriptures and to be fair it kind of breaks my heart because um, I have lost friends Of things like this, when they are um, deconstructing from the faith, and they realise that you begin to realise that the things they were looking for um, wasn't Jesus. Um, But that's another um, discussion I want to get into because the things that some friends have gone into are um, far more serious um, in terms of like spirituality. But those things that they are going into have also permeated into the church and that's something I want to um, certainly highlight in the very near future because um, I want you guys to be aware of what's going on um, in that instance Um, and also the way we can draw the line especially um, where depending on you where you stand in terms of like uh, denominational um, especially with um, if you're in the realms of um, continuationism um, or more specifically like to say that the Pentecostal says charismatic movement these things are very easily grafted in without us knowing and probably have been grafted in for a while and it only takes um, reading through the scriptures faithfully to realise that some of the things that we stand by aren't necessarily what, um, is what scriptures is teaching but it's something that is um, outside the realms of Christianity that's been incorporated, uh, incorporated in But, um, yeah, like, I I understand that that this two-part series might have things that you certainly disagree with. Um, By all means, you can shoot your arrows this way. Um, Iron sharpeners iron in this instance, and you have a duty to use discernment and to test all these things. And I encourage you, most definitely encourage you, to make sure that everything you truly see, whether it be for me or anybody else is consistent with the intention of the author's message in scripture so I may have said this, I may have done all the work but I have laid out as much as I can for you to take this away look into it for yourself and and try and work out whether what I'm saying is consistent with the message that God is teaching in the scriptures or whether it's slightly off, whether there's errors in certain points, whether it's heretical, whether it's blasphemy you guys can make the call on that and you should be testing everything that comes through and again from everything I've just said you'll realise why it's so important um... but the uh... obviously with me laying this out it brings in questions as well like um... well what is your stance on what this sign means for us or this gift means for us um, in the 21st century age Um, you know does the scripture say that we should prohibit speaking in other human languages no we should to let it continue that's fine I'm totally fine with that has the gift seized um well I can't say definitively <laughs> I can't say definitively I'm I'm not the Holy Spirit so um it'd be very callous for me to say oh because of my uh, my experience um, that um, maybe it has if it hasn't I can't make the call on that but should it be done in line with scripture most definitely and one thing that we fail to uh, remember is that um, the Holy Spirit is the author of all scripture if someone tries to separate the authority of scripture from the Holy Spirit then they've probably been drawn more by the signs and wonders than they have Christ the Holy Spirit should be feared, and revered, and understand that this exposition is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit does things, the the things that the Holy Spirit does is direct demons, it's trying to help clear out that if anything, if there is any bone to pick, that the Holy Spirit will always work in line with what he has written down in scripture, anything that goes outside of that should be helped with caution. And we're told to hold um to test every spirit to make sure that everything is true if it lies with scripture that's fine and if it doesn't, then we have to take things further. do I feel like this um is being um this particular gift has been abused most definitely alongside with prophecy and other things like that um it's something that i I have to check within myself that this doesn't become a witch hunt. Um, and I guess that's the beauty of um, using exegesis and hermeneutics is that you don't read or you learn this discipline of not reading yourself into scripture or putting like presuppositions in to kind of um, bring a I'm not throwing in scripture to try and prove a point that I think is true but the scriptures doesn't attest to or rather I'm trying to conform to the scripture. Um, yeah I feel like there definitely needs to be more open discussion. With regards to how this is it's worked out. Just because um, I think it is wrong to have Christianity and the Holy Spirit put in the same box as pagan religions. The two can't mix. So there has to be a line, of, but then just like, again, I'm not going through scripture to find out ways to say that, oh yeah, the two aren't aligned. If I am correcting what I'm drawing out from scripture, and what others, um, certainly trying to, you know, compare my notes with, with other teachers and things like that, um, and understand the historical context. There does seem to be room to, to say that, yeah, this isn't a consistent theme. And perhaps it's us that's in error in how we've interpreted the scripture um, and sooner rather than later, we hope that we might be able to pull into the pits and actually check to see how well the um this vehicle's running on our understanding of what this is but um I'd like to maintain a high view of God the Father, God the Son, and most certainly God the Holy Spirit, is the most um, misunderstood person of the Trinity, but then um, in certain circles, he's also um, the one taken for the most granted. Things are attested to him um, that do seem to be extra, uh, that lie outside the scripture, um things like that need to be taken with uh with fervency and handled in love but it's a case of we're trying to preserve the um the message and the faith that comes from the scriptures that we read and it's just unfortunate that we see a lot of these things coming out from those who forsake scripture in search of a spiritual experience or hold those spiritual experiences or those who say they are getting things like direct uh, revelation um, from God, as either equal to, or um, a uh, the next step up from actually reading your Bible. So you don't need your Bibles anymore because this person is getting um, all their information, and they're using the right terms and the authoritative terms like God told me, or oh, the Holy Spirit has said such and such. And for you to question it would be then to question God and all that sorts of thing. Scripture is the main thing we have; it is our sword. And do not be lulled into the false sense of security that you can put your sword down. Is the only offense we have, but we need to know how to wield it properly. So, um, on that note, I thank you guys for listening again to uh, this episode. Um, yeah stay tuned for the new, uh, the other potential things in the future. Um, not quite sure where it's going to go. Um, at the time of this recording. Uh, uh, another team member has also lost um another uh, lost one of their parents i guess that's a recording of this um the u k has lost um the queen um she passed away today as well so it guess it's a it's a bit of a a rough um rough time for those who are going through those bereavement stages um so i thought I'll just keep the ball rolling on my own not necessarily like oh you know it gives me a chance to grab the mic and say what I like but just to keep things that will keep your mind turning in the interim until we can um, get the sensible conversations coming up again but yeah there's plenty in the, the woodwork uh, that I would like to, to dig into um, things that I obviously mentioned earlier that I want to, to really bring to the surface and help people try and discern um, on the forefront the sort of things that they might be incorporating incorporating into their faith that is not um, consistent with scripture at all Um, I would like to dig into that in the very near future Um, but yeah until the next one I hope that you guys take care um, that you do check to see that everything that in these past two two episodes are certainly true Um, obviously in the descriptions of these there are going to be the two main ways to, to get in contact with us if you want to Um, but yeah until the next one you guys take care and god bless